Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Bill Press Pod. Breaking news, America finally got to celebrate Infrastructure Week. Yeah, it became a big joke under Donald Trump, who announced Infrastructure Week at least half a dozen times with no results. But Joe Biden made it happen. However, passage of the bipartisan infrastructure bill in the House did not happen easily. It only came after months of infighting among House Democrats and on the heels of a humiliating loss by Democrats in the Virginia governor's race. One man in the middle of it all, who played a key role in passage of the infrastructure package, was Don Beyer, former U.S. ambassador to Switzerland, now congressman from Virginia's 8th congressional district right across the river from Washington, and a member of the increasingly powerful House Progressive Caucus. We caught up with Congressman Beyer the morning after the House approved the bipartisan infrastructure bill, 228 to 206. Congressman Beyer, welcome to the Bill Press Pod. Good to connect with you again. Thank you, Bill. Thanks so much for having me on. So, uh, congratulations. We can finally celebrate Infrastructure Week, <laughs> a vote of 228 to 206, passing the bipartisan infrastructure bill in the House. How important is this for the American people? Oh, I think it's really important. It's, it's a great win for, for American people. It's a great win for Joe Biden. Uh, and I think it's a, a win for governance. Uh, I, I like to say democratic governance, but governance overall, that that Congress, that despite all other indications, actually can function. And, and I was delighted that we had at least 10 Republicans in the House vote for it. And I think there were 17 or so Republicans in the Senate that voted for it. So um, this is something that won't be undone by, by some other administration. I was really thrilled to do it. And Bill, I know you know all the pieces of it, but... You know, that's what I wanted to ask you next, because I think most people don't, you know, the focus has been on the infighting, right, and on the numbers yeah. but uh, of votes or something, but not on the content. So tell us a little bit about there's some. this is a trillion dollars of good stuff, right? Take us through some yeah, of it. Yeah, really good stuff. And um, although I'm not a huge fan of the, the so-called pay force, it in fact is completely paid for. So we don't add anything to the federal debt. We don't add any more fire to the fears about inflation. Um, this is a, a really responsible bill, you know, in in sort of the old you know Virginia fiscal responsibility mode. Um, but you know, piece by piece, you start with 110 um, billion dollars for roads and bridges. It's something like 17,000 bridges and 220,000 miles of road, mm -hmm. uh, and. And that's from a climate change perspective. If you're not stuck in traffic, um, you burn a lot less gas and uh, emit a lot fewer things, and you have more time with your family. Uh, the the railroad investment 
is the most since Amtrak was started 50 years ago. And they're calling it the second railroad revolution, uh-huh. uh, passenger and rail. And once again, when you move all this uh, stuff out of trucks, where we have a 20,000 truck driver shortage anyway, and move it onto rail, uh, the, the carbon footprint is is like one fourth what it is when you move it by truck rather than by rail. You know, by rail rather than by truck. You right. Know. And there is stuff in there for electric vehicles, which has been a big uh, electric cars and trucks and buses, which has been a big priority for uh, Joe Biden. Yeah, it's, you know, in the coming bill, we have huge tax credits for uh, passenger vehicles, you know, like Mm $12,500 and and big credits for commercial vehicles, the trucks and vans and, and rigs. Um, and even um, help for local and state governments to buy electric buses. But you have to get over the range anxiety. And we do that with 500,000 new charging stations across the country that are in the infrastructure bill. So you can drive coast to coast and not have to worry about running out of electricity. Right. So, Congressman, you know, it used to be this, this, this infrastructure, the hard stuff, the roads, the bridges, right, was always a bipartisan done deal, right? No question about it. This, people voted for this because they knew uh, a country needed it. Why was it so hard to round up the votes for this one? Um, well, <laughs> you, you, you're getting into a really important process question. The concern <laughs> was that uh, the, the moderate Democrats were obviously always going to be for the infrastructure bill. And the more um, liberal Democrats, the more progressive ones, were always going to be for the human infrastructure bill, the the Build Back Better bill. And there was, sadly, an absence of trust on both sides. The the progressives weren't sure the moderates would vote for their bill and vice versa. And it took us till late last night, basically, with everybody in the same room uh, committing to each other that they each would support the other's main priority. And now I think we have a win on both bills. But it did, did, did take a long time. And it was mostly slowed down by the Mansion Cinema Challenge, as we like to call them, President Mansion and President Cinema. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, de- they- determining in a 50-50 Senate, there was no leeway. You had to have everybody's uh, buy-in. And meanwhile, for the most part, Republicans stayed on the sidelines, right? As you point out, I think there were 13 Republicans, I believe it's late to count that, uh, that voted for the bipartisan bill in the House and maybe about the same number, 19, in the Senate. Um, But Republicans just decided uh, they weren't going to help out, right? I mean... Yeah, not at all. And this, unfortunately, very reminiscent of uh, Mitch McConnell in 2009 pledging to try to make Obama a failed president. You know, I, th- I think they realize that if when we get these done, these can be very popular, multi-decade, uh, multi-generational commitments to the American people. And they're going to come completely with Democratic support. And it's not going to be good for their political uh, fortunes. But it's, but it's too bad. And, and I think, by the way, this is one of the one of the additional consequences of that stupid filibuster is you when you, you only get one or two bites at the reconciliation apple, you have to put all of your priorities into one huge bill, which of course becomes much more complicated. Right. So uh, are you telling me that when these new bridges are uh, opened and they have the ribbon cuttings that none of these Republicans are going to show up for the ribbon? 
Well, you, you obviously have been paying attention to how the American Rescue Plan, which none of them voted for, they're all taking credit for now in their districts. Yeah. It's, it's pretty silly. Um, you and, know, and I think we need to call them out on it everywhere we can. Uh, boy, I and These $250 and $300 checks per child, cutting yeah. child poverty in half. And of course, yeah, this is helping their districts more than it's helping most Democratic districts. Right. And and eventually they'll take credit for it. So I'm I'm curious, uh, Congressman, how important a role did President Biden play in getting the bipartisan bill passed the House? Oh, very very much so because uh, we couldn't have done it without the president. And the the, the president I, I, he he didn't call me because I was always on board from the beginning. He did, didn't need to call me, but but on both the 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 moderate center and the progressive left, he made personal phone calls to many of these people. I mean, probably a couple of dozen uh, asking for their support, asking for their trust, um, personally asking for their vote. You know, he came before us um, uh, 10 days ago or so Mm -hmm. um, uh, on a Friday morning and and said, "Um, I I know you've had problems with mansion and cinema, but trust me, I I will get them on board. Um, You don't have to trust them. Just trust me. And uh, so we did, and it, and it worked. I mean, because there's been a lot of criticism that Biden is, is not aggressive enough, is not active enough, is not fighting hard enough. Um, but boy, at the end, um, I think you have to give him credit for coming through. Yeah, and you know, in the meantime, he had to go to Rome for the G20 meeting. He had to go to Glasgow and talk about the reforestation and cutting methane emissions and all this stuff. He, he wasn't goofing off. Um, and I also think he knew that, um, you know, the, the cake had to be largely baked before he weighed in. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, we needed to narrow the differences so that when he did weigh in, he was weighing in at a time that it made, uh, made all the difference and got us over the finish line. Um, so you are a member of the Progressive Caucus, Congressman. Uh, and uh, the Progressive Caucus, which is now, I think, the largest caucus uh, in the House, uh, it was Mark Pocan and Pramila Jayapal for a while who were co-chairs, now Pramila Jayapal. Uh, the progressives really showed that they have a, uh, a lot of clout and were able to hold things up for a while by insisting that the bill, the vote be for both bills at one time. Um, how do you think the Progressive Caucus comes out of this, looking stronger or looking like maybe they overplayed their hand? Um, where does the Progressive Caucus stand uh... now? I don't know. I think that there is a, a quiet sense of victory within the Progressive Caucus because they were able to successfully link the Build Back Better bill and the infrastructure bill. Mm-hmm. Um, I confess that from the beginning, I didn't like that strategy. And I was very clear. I think about maybe half the Progressive Caucus disagreed with that strategy or maybe something less. Um, I, I personally have said a number of times, I don't think we should be, you know, we, we can threaten the other party, but we shouldn't threaten ourselves. <laughs> right. Um, you know, that we need to trust each other. Um, that view didn't prevail and, and maybe they were right. Um, but one of the dilemmas though, is when you play that kind of game, you also um, make uh, enemies might not be the right word, but, um, you don't necessarily form deep bonds <laughs> across right. 
the, the, these small ideological lines. Bill, there's an old, old axiom in politics that your friends come and go, but your enemies accumulate forever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so make them carefully. And, and I do confess that when we finally got the deal after the president called everybody, right? Um, we we know that the renegades, or the, the 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 small group of moderates that that was waiting for the CBO score, all committed to vote for the Build Back Better bill. And I think almost every progressive caucus member committed to vote for the infrastructure bill. So I, I was really disappointed last night to see uh, the squad vote no on infrastructure. Um, and I, I don't know what the rationale was, but it was disappointing. Right. And I think it was very heartening to see uh, the renegades, as you called them, or the moderates, and Pramila Jaipal come to an agreement and announce that last night as well. Again, they didn't get the six members yeah, of the squad, yeah. but they got everybody else. So now, Congressman, um, when are we going to see a vote on the Build Back Better bill? What's the plan? We come back in on Monday, the 15th of November. And uh, every, every expectation is that we will vote on that, on that bill th- that week. And we will report it out and send it over. We'll have the CBO scores by then or the CBO tables, whatever, yep. whatever the, the mods want. And uh, so by the end of that week, the 19th, we should send the bill over to the Senate. And then we expect it's going to take the Senate's a different beast. It'll take three or four weeks probably to get it out. It may well come back to us smaller than what we send over. I think we're, we're 2 million, one seven, 2 trillion, 170 currently with four weeks of paid uh, paternity, maternity leave. And with the, uh, the drug price negotiation with the hearing aids for Medicare. Um, you know, the, the mansion mm-hmm. number was somewhere between a million five, trillion five and a trillion eight fifty. Um, but so, you know, we, I, I think Speaker Pelosi was clear that she'd want to continue to negotiate forever. We pass our Senate, our House bill Senate over and see what comes back. Right. Are you convinced uh, now to the extent that anybody uh, can, I guess, be confident that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema will agree to a final bill? Uh, I'm really optimistic. Um, I mean, like in the 96% optimistic. Uh, partly, well, for many different reasons, including the fact that Joe Biden, our president, um, s- says that he will deliver those two. And I think it's hard to say no to a president. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> some of you got you know, more votes than any person in American history. Uh, also, uh, uh, both of them, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're one off. They're iconoclastic there. Um, but, but both of them also want to have political futures and to stop this enormous investment in, in American children, in the climate, in, in the care economy, um, just doesn't seem plausible. Yes, they're going to have demands and we'll do our best to meet those demands, but they can't stop the whole thing. Right. Um, I hope you're right. Uh, I think you're right also, by the way. Um, Though it's not going to be automatic, let's say yeah, yeah, not <laughs> there, def- automatic. there definitely will be will be some changes. But that gets to the central question, uh, Congressman, on both bills. Uh, we talked about what's in the uh, hard, so-called hard infrastructure bill, the BIF. Uh, there's also lots of good uh, historic stuff in the BBB. Right? You mentioned family and medical leave expansion of uh, Medicaid, Medicare. Uh, you got the universal pre-K, the childcare stuff, 
the climate change, $550 billion. Why haven't Democrats done a better job of messaging what's in these two bills, the content? All the, all the attention has been on the infighting, not on what's being delivered. I, I, I don't have an answer for that. It's, it's amazing how often at all kind of events I go to, Bill, people ask the same question. Why aren't Democrats better yeah. at messaging? Um, I think we try. You know, the, I think the, the backhand was uh, Republicans are good at talking in sound bites and headlines, and we're good at talking in fine print. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I lost the governor's race 24 years ago to a guy whose slogan was no car tax. <laughs> and and it, it worked really well. That was a headline. And he won easily. Um, I, I, you know, we've also spent a silly amount of money on the best advertising people in, in Madison Avenue and London and all kinds of stuff. So um, I don't know. But that's certainly, don't you believe, uh, a challenge for the Democratic Party, uh, particularly looking ahead toward the midterms in 2022, when you'll have a lot to sell uh, as long as you sell it right. Yeah, I know. Well, just now, I, supposedly the the polls show that these wonderful checks for children, two hundred fifty dollars and three hundred dollars, that you know, sixty one million families got in the month of August and the September, mm. and nobody knows that they're part of the American Rescue Plan. That this was a Joe Biden initiative. Uh, so we do have to tell that story, and maybe we need to spend a lot more money on TV telling the story. Uh, that's the challenge for Deed. Yeah, well, yeah. In, in talks in terms of messaging uh, and telling a story, we saw uh, a good or a bad example of this that week in what happened in your state, Congressman, uh, with the results of Tuesday in Virginia. Uh, I want to get into that, but first, if you will, let's take a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod, and then we'll uh, pick up our conversation on the other side with uh, Congressman Don Beyer. And today's podcast with Congressman Don Beyer is brought to us by the American Federation of Government Employees. Good men and women of the AFGE, our largest federal employees union with over 700,000 members. They're the ones who keep our federal agencies running 24-7, not just in Washington, but in every corner of the country serving the American public under the leadership of President Everett Kelly. We salute the members of the AFGE, thank them for their good work and their support of the Bill Press Pod. Check out their website at afge.org. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. 
I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. And we're back on the Bill Press Pod. Our guest today, Congressman Don Bayer from Northern Virginia. So, Congressman, um, maybe with we were too optimistic, but I think we all expected that Terry McAuliffe, who did a damn good job as governor of Virginia the first time around, would rather easily get back in a second term. It didn't happen. Uh, what's your take on what happened Tuesday in Virginia? Um. Obviously, it's complicated, but I think you know so many of of the pundits right now are talking about Republicans seize the lead on education for the first time, and maybe yep. there's some of that. But I still think it was still mostly driven by people's perception of the economy. You know that we had a a, a Democratic president whose approval rating at the time was forty two percent, which doesn't help us. The right track wrong track numbers were were negative, and when you're when people think the country is more on the wrong track than the right track, they're almost always going to vote for change. Even though, you know, Ralph Northam and Terry before him had done a wonderful job in Virginia. You know, we, we had a less than 4% unemployment rate, huge budget surplus. You know, we're the top 10 states in vaccination, best business state in the country two years in a row. We had lots and lots to brag about. But when people are worried because of gasoline prices, and are confused about mask mandates and getting kids back in school. Um, there was just a, a natural pushback. Yeah, I, I think t- Terry did. A, he was a wonderful governor. So it's hard to know exactly what critique you'd have of his campaign. Other than he, he made one mistake during a debate about talking about a, a comment taken out of context that parents shouldn't have much of a role in deciding what their kids are taught in school. And they really hammered him on that, and he never answered it. And we don't answer it; people believe it. So, right, that's uh, Monday morning quarterbacking, of course. Of course, that's what we're both. That's what we're both doing. Uh, you know, President Biden was asked um, his take on what happened, and uh, the president said, "I'm paraphrasing here. Basically, people people want to get things. See, they want to get things done. They want to see getting things done." Uh, which was sort of a not-so-veiled swipe at Congress for not passing the, the, the infrastructure bills. Do you think of those, if these two bills, or at least one of them, had passed, it might have made a difference in Virginia? Um, maybe, uh, although I'm, I'm very reluctant to, to, to blame Congress for, for the loss in Virginia and the nearness in, in, in New Jersey. Because I think we're still making decisions more on, on, on local stuff, mm-hmm. what's happening in their immediate lives. However, you know, if we had passed it, it would have been a win for the people, a win for the president. So maybe that 42% would have been 45 or 46. And, and probably the biggest thing, it would have been a win for democratic governance. Look, we can govern, we can lead, we can make things better. Right. And when we didn't do it, 
um, that that was that was a message denied Terry McAuliffe. Uh, and I, I heard your Senator Tim Kaine say it would also have given Terry McAuliffe a chance that he could campaign on child care and campaign on universal pre-K, right, and campaign yeah, on yeah, down, exactly. down the line. Uh, and he was not able to do that. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, the schools issue where I agree with you. I don't think that Terry, Terry uh, uh, responded to that the way he should have in the campaign. And the other mistake might have been, uh, seems was, counting on Donald Trump, right, to turn the tide, right? That people would still see Donald Trump as the boogeyman, the danger uh, that they did in 20, uh, last year, that they would, this year. So that emphasis on Donald Trump tying Glenn Youngkin to Donald Trump, Congressman, would you agree uh, was a failed strategy? Uh, I, I definitely would. And you could see it, Bill, in 2016, our House candidates tried to tie their mm -hmm. opponents to Donald Trump and it didn't work. And in 18, we didn't try to do that. We were mostly, you know, we just said, hey, Donald Trump is the wallpaper. I mean, we all know he's in the room, right? So we have to, don't have to talk about him. And let's run on our issues and our personalities and our leadership. And we took back the House. Uh, and again, in 2020, most people weren't running against Donald Trump. Um, but we fell back into that in 21. And it just, it didn't work because even though Youngkin had, had embraced Trump and the Trumpians in the primary, he uh, apparently did an effective job of distancing himself in the general. And also people looked at this, you know, six foot eight um, suburban Northern Virginia guy and said he, he doesn't look like and he doesn't sound like Donald Trump. So right. it just it didn't didn't work. Could we say overall uh, fairly that um, Glenn Youngkin just ran a better campaign than Terry McAuliffe did? Terry probably wouldn't like to hear me say that, but <laughs> yes, yeah I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, and we saw it. In other ways, too, Youngkin's crowds were a lot bigger. Mm -hmm. um, we, we ran a pretty effective get-out-the-vote campaign because Terry put a lot of money into field. Um, but And I, I went to um, myriad events for Terry, but the crowds were, they were okay, but they were much smaller than they've been for Joe Biden or Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton. And, and you, you need that energy and that excitement there. Right. I'm glad you brought that up about turnout. By the way, I, I must say, I was still feeling pretty good about Terry's chances until that the last weekend, the last couple of days, when I saw the size of the crowds turning out for Yunkin and the pretty minimal size crowds for Terry, right? And I thought that yeah. that said a lot. But I'm glad you went to turnout, Congressman, because, you know, I, I'm former California Democratic chair. Uh, I'm an old-fashioned Democrat in the sense that I always believe the bigger the turnout, the better for Democrats. Uh, uh, this was record turnout in Virginia for both parties, and uh, it worked to the Republicans' advantage. How, how do you and read you that? I saw a little of that, Bill, in 2020 when you know Joe Biden got 80 million votes, the most American history, and then Donald Trump got the second most votes in American history. Yeah, there was. Yeah, in a, in a way, the, the little D Democrat in me is thrilled that these turnouts keep going up. Right. Because I, I, I do believe in the wisdom of crowds in the long run. Um, but if you begin to take it apart, um, we had really poor performance among young people in Virginia last week. Now, less than 10% of the registered young people showed up. Wow. Under, under 30. Ooh. And that's a crowd where 
you know, they would be overwhelmingly um, right. McAuliffe, I think. Uh, and we don't yet know what the turnout numbers were for, say, Hispanic Virginians or or African American Virginians. But if, but you know, we lost two um, black House delegate members, you know, Virginia General Assembly, uh, in like Petersburg and, and Southside, which is really concerning. Which suggests that perhaps our rural black turnout wasn't anywhere near what it needs to be. You know, it's it's not enough just to get great turnout in highly educated Northern Virginia. We've got to get it in every part of our, our base. Right. Uh, I heard one criticism that uh, there were a couple of African-Americans. I, I, I'm not close enough to Virginia politics to remember their names. I'm sure you do, who ran against Terry in the Democratic primary. Um, that And the criticism is that Terry didn't involve them enough in the gen- general campaign to help get out the, the African-American vote. Uh, yeah, again, I, I, Monday I, I, morning, I, Monday morning quarterbacking. But yeah, yeah. I, and I, I don't have any insight into that. I, I do know that the the best coordinated campaigns um, aren't just looking at you know governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general. They're they're engaging people all through the political process, including right. those school board races and town council races and things like that. Uh, any lessons, overall lessons that you see that Democrats ought to take away from what happened in New Jersey and Virginia last week, Congressman? Uh, for, for me, the, the 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 biggest lesson, Bill, is that in and forgive me for being like the carpenter with the hammer and the nail, <laughs> um, but my perspective is that in Congress we have to pass these big important bills: infrastructure, build back better. We're about to do something that was called the Endless Frontiers Act in the Senate and the National Science Foundation for the Future in the House. That's the largest investment in basic research that we've ever had in America, hmm. um, that we need to pull together the two v- different versions and send that on, uh, et cetera. Um, there's a lot of really important legislation we have. And I, I really deeply believe that uh, in the middle run and the long run, good policy makes for good politics. If we serve the people well, if we keep moving our country forward with with good governance, then, yeah, we're going to win elections. And if we screw it up, we don't deserve to win elections. Well, talk about a big issue that I wanted to get to next and just get your take on the possibility of getting voting rights bill passed through the Senate. And can it be done without getting rid of the filibuster? Uh, I don't. I don't see any way of getting it done without the filibuster. If you could actually get 60 Republican votes, I believe it would be so watered down, it wouldn't make any difference. Uh, I would love to think that Manchin and Cinema would yield on the filibuster f- just for voting rights, just as we yielded for judges and Supreme Court judges and the Bird Rule. But Bill, I tell you, my, my of all the priorities I have out there on the political side, number one is is building on our Senate majority in 2022. You know, winning the open Senate seats in in North Carolina and Pennsylvania and probably plausibly in Wisconsin and saving Ralph Warnock and Mark Kelly and Maggie Hassan and some of the ones that are at risk. You know, with 53 or 54 senators, we can get rid of the filibuster and then um, all kinds of good things are possible, uh, including smaller bills that have Republican support that advance the country's agenda. What about the House in 2022, Congressman? You know, a lot of people have just written it off, basically. It's, it's, in, it's in the cards. There's no way to stop it. 
Republicans are going to take over the House. They're so close now, and Kevin McCarthy becomes the next speaker. Um, I would imagine you're not that pessimistic. Well, on the optimistic side, right now we have 32 uh, at-risk incumbents. We call them the frontliners, people like Abigail Spanberger and Elaine Lurie in Virginia. Uh, And every one of them has won twice, in 18 and in 20. They're blooded. They're tough campaigners. They won with Donald Trump on on the ballot in 2020. And I think every one of them can prevail. Uh, the uh, Probably the, the most dangerous, endangered seats are Cindy Axney in Iowa, Ron Kine's open seat in Wisconsin, maybe Tom Malinowski in New Jersey. But I think they could all win. The bigger, the pessimism comes from the redistricting in mm-hmm. Ohio, North Carolina, Florida, and Texas. You know, all the, Demo- many of the Democratic states have moved to the Enlightenment, no gerrymandering. You know, independent redistricting or semi-independent, like Virginia. Unfortunately, the the red states um, uh, are hanging with their gerrymandering. Right now, Ohio has drawn maps. Ohio is like a 52-48 Republican state, right? Almost 50-50. Yep. Their current map does 13 Republican House members and two Democratic ones. Um, you know, just immoral. And Texas is going to be almost as bad, North Carolina. So that's that's the overwhelming challenge to, to keeping the House, is making sure that there's a fair balance of Democratic and Republican seats in all the states. And that may be uh, a lot of court cases. You know, when you look at Ohio and say a 52-48 state that's 13-2 and two in the House, that's got to be challengeable in federal court. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, Congressman, I guess in terms back to messaging, right, with with COVID declining, getting that behind us, not entirely yet, but certainly in the right direction, with the economy showing that it's really continuing to climb, get better, 531,000 jobs, new jobs in October, and now with the uh, hard infrastructure bill and hopefully soon the Build Back Better bill, uh, Democrats will have something positive to run on and something positive to talk about. Um, I think we all try really hard, um, and we need, just need to continue to touch our constituents in those positive ways, which means lots of town halls and teletown halls and showing up at every Chamber of Commerce meeting and Civic Association and telling our story. Messaging, messaging, messaging. We'll get right back to it. Okay. Congress- know, there's, Bill, there's an old line that says nothing happens in politics unless you tell somebody about it. Uh, so true, so true. Congressman Don Byer, thanks so much for your great work uh, for the people of America and the people of Virginia, Congressman, and thanks for uh, joining us on the Bill Press Pod. Thank you, Bill, very much. And that's it for today's podcast with Congressman Don Byer. I look forward to uh, uh, maybe another podcast with him talking about passage of the Build Back Better bill, which hopefully won't take so long and won't be as agonizing. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, And of course, thanks to the good Congressman. And we invite you back for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. That'll be Friday with our weekly Reporters Roundtable to look back at the big news of this week. In the meantime, take care of yourself. Be strong, be safe, be sane, and come back and see us for our Reporters Roundtable on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.